You are listening to audio from Life Community Church located in Alexandria, Virginia. To learn more about our ministry or to financially support God's ministry through us, please visit www.lifeccalexandria.org. You'll now join Pastor Reed Bradley as he brings us the message for today. All right. We're going to be diving back into the book of Numbers this week. We've got a really uh, exciting, interesting passage of Scripture we're going to be reading and working our way through. For you kids, as you guys are working on your coloring sheets, uh, I want to offer a, a bounty of sorts, right? If you write down the three passages of Scripture, just the address, you don't have to write down every word of the passage, just, just where they are, the three places I'm going to reference later on in the sermon, uh, then you'll get, and you show that to me at the end, you get an extra Awana book added into your Awana bank account, all right? Now, in addition, for every line of notes from that I, that I did, don't make up your own lines, but the lines that are in the slides, for every line of those that you write down and show me, I'll give you an additional 10 points uh, for your Awana score and stuff, right? So for each one. So and uh, for those of you that, you know, that's going to be hard for you to write down that much, then get your parents' help, and they'll pay attention during the sermon, too. It'll be great. All right, so uh, let, me, let me, with that said, let me go ahead and say a prayer for us, and we're going to dive in. Lord God, I do ask that you would bless this time, that you would allow your word to come through clear, that it would sink into our hearts, that it would grow and blossom into into the fruit of your spirit in our lives and we ask that in all of these things you would be glorified because you are our savior and our lord in your name we pray amen so this week we're going to be picking it up in numbers chapter 22 and we've been following the israelites on this journey that they've been on right they've been led out of egypt across the red sea and into this wilderness and they have come close to blessing and then had to go back around and go into traveling. And uh, Pastor Ryan, he gave us this really helpful little graphic with the divisions here. And, and you can see now we have finally transitioned into that last section, right? That they were camped at Sinai. They received a lot of the laws and stuff. And they traveled. And then they were camped at Paran. And then they traveled. And now they're back and they're camped at Moab specifically in the plains of Moab, which is where we're going to see them in just a moment. And as they have been coming up, I want to just mention a few things of the setting before we begin to read our verses today, which is that they, they are heading to the promised land. They are getting ready. The old leaders are passing away. Now Moses is the only one left. And as they are moving in this direction, they are, first and foremost, they're looking for a way through these lands to the promised land, but they are encountering a lot of difficulties. In fact, they're reaching out to all of these different contexts that they have in the area, and they say, can we come through your land? Look, we will just stay on the highway. Anything that our flocks eat, anything, we will pay you back, right? We've got all of this uh, blessing and, and money and stuff from Egypt that we came out with. We can pay for it. Just let us through. We just want to go through. Our fight's not with you. God promised us the land that's on the other side of you. So can you just let us through? And Rather than people being welcoming or allowing them to come through, they are getting attacked. And so 
we see not only that, but we see victories that God is giving Israel in self-defense. That the people are just trying to get through to the promised land. They're not attacking any of these people. These, these aren't the people that God has said to destroy necessarily. They're just trying to go through. And as they get ready, they say, look, can you just let us through? And some of the kings say, no, not only am I not going to let you through, but we're coming after you right now. Everybody get the armies together. Let's get these people. And God delivers them. God blesses and gives Israel victory. They defeat the king of Arad. They defeat Sihon, king of the Amorites. They defeat Og, king of Bashan. And still more to come in the chapters that are going to follow. And not only do you have this, but you also have a lot of these sort of awkward uh, family reunions, so to speak. Uh, each of these little nations that are, that are bordering these groups of people had significant ties to the people of Israel. It wasn't just random people that they were reaching out and talking to. You had Edom, who was descended from Esau, right? So the brother of Jacob, who is Israel. So these, these brother people, they don't want to have anything to do with them. Okay, well, they go, and then now we're going to see they're in Moab. Moab is descended from Lot, right, who's connected to Abraham. And not only do you have Moab, but you have Midian, and Midian is descended from Abraham himself by his third wife, Keturah, after Sarah died. And so all of these people have sort of connections and are adjacent to the promises of God and, ironically, are adjacent to the promised land. Uh, and all of these people are, are blessed by God in their own way. And yet none of them are willing to, to play nice with the Israelites. They are all not for these people coming through and receiving what God has promised them. They all believe that they're going to sort of be next on the chopping block if they just let them through. And so with that sort of framework, we come to the Israelites now camping in the plains of Moab. And in fact, this is their final destination within the book of Numbers. They're pretty much here, the entirety of the rest of it, and all through the book of Deut Deuteronomy, right? We'll get to that next year right, when we come back around and we do our series through Deuteronomy. But, but this is where they are until they cross over the river and go in, right? They're going to be camped here. The tabernacle's at the center. All the people are camped around, and, and they're waiting for God to give them the instructions to go in now. And in the midst of all of this, we've got a new threat emerging to the people of Israel. And in fact, an incredible thing is in the midst of all of this, you see the people of Israel camped on the plains of Moab, but this story doesn't really follow them at all. In fact, it's almost, uh, you can imagine it in like a movie, right? Or a, a Saturday morning cartoon where it says, meanwhile, and it goes on over, right? Meanwhile, what's going on over here with the pagans, the people that are not following the one true God? They're looking at Israel, and you can kind of see the zoom out over the corner of the, over the uh, shoulder of the king of Moab. So, just recently, Israel has achieved another victory. The last one was the king of Bashan. And now the other people that are around him are starting to get worried. And that's where we are in chapter 22. We're going to be in verse 1 to start. Then the people of Israel set out and camped in the plains of Moab, beyond the Jordan, at Jericho. And 
Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was in great dread of the people because they were many. Moab was overcome with fear of the people of Israel. And Moab said to the elders of Midian, This horde will now lick up all that is around us as the ox licks up the grass of the field. So Balak, the son of Zippor, who was king of Moab at the time, sent messengers to Balaam, son of Beor, at Pethor, which is near the river in the land of the people of Ammon, to call him, saying, Behold, a people has come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the earth, and they are dwelling opposite me. Come now, curse this people for me, since they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them from the land, for I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. And so we have this new threat, one that is unknown to the people of Israel. They're camping, they are listening to the commands of the Lord, and meanwhile, the king of Moab is trying to figure out how he's going to deal with this people. He recognizes that his army, which lost to the king of Bashan, and the Midianite army, which also lost to the king of Bashan, right? They're not really, even combined, aren't enough to face the people of Israel. So what are they going to do? Well, let's get our own divine help. I mean, this people, the reason that they're able to stand against people mightier than them is because they seem to be blessed by their God. So let's get some other gods to gang up on them. Who can we call, right? Who can we call? Who are we, we going to call? Well, I got an idea. There's this guy, Balaam. Balaam, son of Beor. And they send a group of people to Pethor. Now, if you're like me, and it's easy for you to read these places and just think that they're kind of adjacent to each other, uh, Pethor is very far away from Moab, where they are right now. By some estimates, it's about 400 miles away, right? Which, remember, they're traveling by, like, camel, maybe some horses. So that's about 20 days travel. Like, maybe you could shave off a few days, but they're going to take gifts with them. They're going to take a lot of stuff with them. So, so probably minimum 20 days, looking at more like a month. This guy lives far away. So he is an extremely famous person in this ancient region, that they would know that guy, right? Oh yeah, Balaam, the son of Beor. That guy, anybody he blesses is blessed. Anybody he curses is cursed. This is a guy, let's, go, let's send for him. And so this new threat, the king of Moab, along with the Midianites, they've held counsel together, and their decision is, let's send for the cursor for hire, right? Let's get this guy, let's get him in. And you'll see a lot of people, whether they're commentators or uh, perhaps different Bible preachers, and they'll talk about Balaam and they'll give him the title prophet, which is fine because he sort of does prophesy, but really what he's described as is a diviner, a person who curses and blesses people. It's never really referred to as a prophet, right? He's not like Moses. This is his job, right? He, people come to him, they give him some money, some wealth, some kind of uh, prosperity, and he then curses people for him. And in fact, they've found several different sites within the ancient world where there are 
plaques and stuff honoring or telling the story of Balaam's victory in that area over other gods. Like, yeah, we were having a problem, and then we called in Balaam, and he cursed that god, that pagan god, and boom, now we're good, right? And so they've even found some archaeological evidence of that. This was a guy who was, was well-known in the ancient area. And so they say, all right, it's kind of far, but, I mean, what other choice do we have? We can't fight against Moab, or we can't fight against Israel, right? Moab's too small. So what do we do? All right, send for Balaam, right? We bring in a ringer, right? We send for him. So they do. In verse 7, that's exactly what they do. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with their fees for divination in their hand. And they came to Balaam and gave him Balak's message. And he said to them, Lodge here tonight, and I will bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. Now, every time you see Lord, I do want to be clear, in those all caps, that's, that's Yahweh. That's the name of God of Israel, right? That's a personal name, all right? And so he knows the name. It could be because the people told him that as they were talking to him just now. But whatever we know, we know he knows the name. He's going to call and talk to this God of Israel and see what he can work out, right? You've given me the fees of divination, all right? I want those, so I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to see what I can find out. Verse 9, And God came to Balaam and said, Who are these men with you? God knows, but he wants Balaam to go ahead and give his account. And Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent to me, saying, Behold, a people has come out of Egypt, and it covers the face of the earth. Now come, curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to fight against them and drive them out. God said to Balaam, You shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. Pretty clear. So Balaam rose in the morning and said to the princes of Balak, Go to your own land, for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. So the princes of Moab rose and went back to Balak and said, Balaam refuses to come with us. You got to imagine, right? So 20 days or more, travel all the way out there, pay the guy the upfront fee, right? He talks to God, and God says, Nope, they are not cursed. In fact, they're blessed. You're not going with him. Balaam does not say that part. Conveniently leaves that out, right? It's a lot harder to take the, the fee when you say, oh, actually, it's the opposite of what you wanted. So he just says, uh, yeah, I can't go with you. Today's not good for me, you know. Um, sorry. And they go 20 days back to the king of Moab without Balaam. And so we have this cursor for hire. He's, he's gone to the Lord. And you know what? Honestly, if we ended in verse 14, Balaam seems pretty all right. You know, hey, God gave you a clear message. You listened to the clear message. You didn't disobey. I mean, it's a low bar, but man, the Israelites, they trip over that bar all the time. So, yeah, all right. Okay, Balaam, not, not bad. Maybe you do know the Lord. Maybe this is okay. But, of course, there's more after verse 14. It doesn't just stop there. And the king of Moab, he's, he's desperate. He, we have this desperate negotiator now that we're going to see. That, that the king, he's, he doesn't have a lot of options. And so what does he think? Well, what if we offer him more money? I mean, maybe that's it. Maybe we didn't bring him enough, right? 
And so, in verse 15, it goes like this. Once again, Balak sent princes more in number and more honorable than these. I don't know how many princes he's got to work with, but now he's bringing the best of the best, okay? So he's like, all right, you know, we sent all the B-tier princes, right? Now we're going to send in, like, the top level, okay? You guys, all right, you're the best we've got. Go, all right? So he sends more, more honorable, and they came to Balaam 20 days later and said to him, Thus says Balak, the son of Zippor, Let nothing hinder you from coming to me, for I will surely do you great honor. And whatever you say to me, I will do. Come, curse this people for me. But Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, which I would like, I'm sure he was thinking in his head, I could not go beyond the command of the Lord my God to do less or more. So you too, please stay here tonight and I will know what more the Lord will say to me. And God came to Balaam at night and said to him, If the men have come to call you, rise, go with them, but only do what I tell you. So Balaam rose in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the princes of Moab. Now we're going to see here in just a minute as we continue to read that this looks a lot better than it actually is on Balaam's part. I mean, if you really think about it, it was pretty clear God's answer to Balaam. I mean, it's hard to imagine that anything that he had said changed, right? There wasn't like an expiration date on the blessing. God didn't say, well, for the next month, this people is blessed. Maybe after that, we'll, we'll refresh our negotiation, right? Maybe after that, they won't be blessed. No, they're blessed. They're not going to be cursed. That hasn't changed. Balaam knows that. But Balaam really wants to curse them. I mean, he really wants to. And we're going to see this play out. And I, but I just want you to know that if you're reading this and you're thinking, well, Balaam's kind of a good guy, or he's sort of the reluctant prophet, or he's kind of like Jonah. No, no, he's not. Balaam's a bad guy, okay? Balak is a bad guy. Balaam is a bad guy. God is the hero of the story. And so this story is about God restraining evil people. Kind of gave you a little bit of a spoiler there, but... but I just want you to know that. Balaam, not a good guy, right? And when we go back to the Lord over and over again over what he's made really clear to us, that's not good. God, are you sure? Are you sure I'm supposed to love my neighbor? Are you sure that I need to be faithful to my spouse? Are you sure? God's like, yeah, I haven't changed my mind. Ever. God doesn't change his mind. Actually says that in the Bible. Balaam's like, are you sure? You, you said earlier, is that like a hard pass on like any kind of cursing? What about like a little curse? Right? Like how blessed? Right? Like a forever blessed? I'm just trying to feel out my options. I think I can get that house full of silver and gold if I play my cards right. So... Any way I can get that, God? All right. Go. You want to go? You can go. And what unfolds here, as we're about to read, is one of the strangest accounts 
in a collection of very strange accounts within the Old Testament. Verse 22. But God's anger was kindled because he went, and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as his adversary. Now he was riding on a donkey, and his two servants were with him. A couple things really quick as we keep reading. Angel of the Lord, you'll see again, Lord in all caps. And we'll see later on that this is a manifestation of God himself, that this is more than just a messenger. This isn't just any angel bringing any amount of news. This is God himself come to stand in the way. And many look at this and they say the pre-incarnate Christ is, is really here, is visible, that when God appears in a form like this, that it really is Christ in many ways. And I think that's a fair assessment. But whatever the case may be, this is, this is Yahweh himself come down, standing in the road as an adversary, as an enemy of Balaam. Verse 23. And the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in hand. And the donkey turned aside out of the road and went into the field. And Balaam struck the donkey, and he turned her into the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on either side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed against the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. Then the angel of the Lord went ahead and stood in a narrow place, where there was no way to turn either to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. And Balaam's anger was kindled, and he struck the donkey with his staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, You can talk. Nope, that's not what he said. Because you have made a fool of me, I wish I had a sword in my hand, for then I would kill you. And the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey, on which you have ridden all your life long this day? Is it my habit to treat you this way? And he said, No. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in hand, and he bowed down and fell on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to oppose you, because your way is perverse before me. The donkey saw me and turned aside before me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, surely just now I would have killed you and let her live. Then Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know that you stood in the road against me. Now, therefore, if it is evil in your sight, I will turn back. And the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with these men, but speak only the word that I tell you. So Balaam went on with the princes of Balak. We have here the blind seer, the seer who can't see anything, and then the seeing donkey. Right? That, that the man, the diviner, the one who knows the will of the gods, who can curse 
anyone, who can bless anyone. He's not the one who sees the Lord standing in his path. His two servants aren't the ones who see the angel. It's the donkey. The donkey is more aware and has more spiritual aptitude than Balaam, the seer. And if you think, that seems kind of silly. It's supposed to, all right? God is mocking Balaam here. Make no mistake. God is absolutely making a mockery of him. All the way down to the talking donkey who has to restrain the madness of the prophet, the seer. Three times the donkey faces a choice. He has to either endure the staff of his angry master or the sword of the Lord. And the donkey makes the correct choice. You know what? It's better to be beaten by an angry staff than it is to die by the drawn sword of the Lord. So I'm going to take it. And the donkey does three times. It's a very spiritual, astute observation, Mrs. Donkey. Balaam, now as the story unfolds, finds himself between the anger of the king of Moab and the drawn sword of the Lord. Now, we're not given a visual picture like we just were. It doesn't say, and the angel of the Lord stood there with his sword drawn and staring at Balaam when he gives his oracles. Balaam? No. But that's exactly what's going on. You only speak what I tell you to. Put any thoughts of the riches or of your desire for these things, put that out of your mind. You're going to say exactly what I say. And to the really, really, really low bar of Balaam's credit, he says, you know what? Now that I've seen the sword of the Lord, I'm a little more scared of that than the king of Moab. And three times the king of Moab brings him. He says, all right, here you go. Here's the people. Curse them. Go. Balaam does the sacrifices, does all the stuff, comes back, blesses the people. Balak gets upset, said, okay, I know. You're just not feeling very cursy from here. But let me show you the other side of the people. Let's go over there, right? It's like a way higher, better view. You'll love it. Brings them over there, offers sacrifices, blesses the people. He's like, okay, really, you know, I'm, I'm offering you all this stuff. It's a blank check, man. Just come on, work with me here. All right, I'll tell you what, we'll go over to sort of like the waste, right? Like the really bad looking, then that'll put you in a really cursing mood, right? I think if we go there, so they go over to a different area, offer sacrifices. Balaam blesses them a third time. Balak gets so frustrated. He's like, stop saying anything. All right, just stop, just stop, right? Don't bless them, don't curse them. I don't, just go home, just go home. Not gonna give you anything, just leave. Balaam gives him an extra blessing just for free there on the end. Doesn't make him very happy. And so all of this stuff unfolds. But even though Balaam is told, you're right, just go home, just we're done. He doesn't. And, and, and that's not the end 
of this encounter. That while God refuses to curse the people, while God blesses the people repeatedly over and over and over again in faithfulness to his promise to Abraham that those who bless Abraham and his descendants will be blessed and those who curse Abraham and his descendants will be cursed. And we see this unfold with the people of Moab, with King Balak. In chapter 25, after all of this has happened, we get this account. While Israel lived in Shittim, right, this is the plains of Moab, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. These, the daughters of Moab, invited the people to the sacrifices of their God, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked himself to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. The episodes unfold, and we're not going to go into all the details from here, but God's wrath is poured out against this idolatry, this unfaithfulness of the people of Israel that they had been tempted and brought into by the people of Moab. And we find out throughout the rest of the book of Numbers and throughout the rest of the Old Testament that this is actually all Balaam's idea, that he hangs around after he gives all these blessings and says, you know, what if you get them to follow your gods? Then, worst case scenario, if you just kind of blend with them, they won't destroy you because then you're the same. Best case scenario, it'll make their God angry and he'll just destroy them. And so they get their best looking women and they send them out and the women come in and say, hey, you know who's really cool? Baal. He's really cool God. And all the Israelite men are like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. God impressed the pretty ladies, I guess. Later on, as God deals with his people, purifies them, sends them to enact vengeance against the Midianites, we're told that Balaam is among them and is killed with the sword. That he ends up dying by the sword just a little bit later, but it comes. God's vengeance on him. And in fact, Balaam is repeated and mentioned multiple times throughout the rest of the scriptures. It's actually kind of surprising. Not that it's an indicator of his singular importance, but he's talked about and given more space than Mary, the mother of Jesus, than the majority of the apostles, and many other figures that we're much more familiar with. While not the most important person by any stretch within the scriptures, I think it is clear that God wants us to remember the example of Balaam, wants us to remember the threat of such a person. And so today, as we consider the story of Balaam and we consider what has unfolded, I want to talk for us specifically about the idea of warnings for the church today, warnings for us as believers. Because Balaam not just a seer, and certainly not a prophet from God, but absolutely a prototype of a false teacher, of somebody who comes in and seeks to sow discord among God's people, that seeks to destroy them and corrupt them from within. And so I want to talk a little bit about 
the way, the error, and the teaching of Balaam. And to do that, I'm going to turn to the New Testament, and we're going to look at a few passages where the authors are talking, and they specifically use Balaam as an example to the church. So for our first passage, we're going to turn to 2 Peter. 2 Peter, I'm going to read the first three verses, and then I'm going to read verse 14 through 16. The first three verses I just want you to see so you understand. This is in the middle of a discussion about false prophets. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Then down in verse 14, they have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Balaam's way is greed. His way is greed. It's covetousness. It's, it's the desire for the things of this world which consumes. He knows what is right in the situation. He knows what God's message is and that it's not a message that is going to change. But he goes back. Hey, God, are you really sure? God, but hear me out. Think about all that I could do with that money. And Peter, as he writes this epistle, he tells the people that we need to hold and keep ourselves, right? That we need to love God, not stuff. Not stuff, not the things of this world. That our love and our passion, which drives us, which consumes us, should be for the Lord. It should be for Christ. Now, none of us here, or any person for that matter, are without reason to love Christ. Christ has sacrificed everything for you. There is no being in existence who has shown you the love that Christ has shown you. And so if there is anyone who it should be easy to love in return, it should be Christ. We should love God, not stuff. We should not walk in the way of Balaam. And we can paint it with a lot of pietism. We can color it as though we are holy and we're just really trying to be sure. But God sees right past all of that, just as he saw past Balaam's feigned obedience. 
Well, I'm just going because God said I could go. But maybe he's thinking on the way, I think I might be able to get that room full of gold and silver. You know what? God's letting me go. Maybe that means he's going to change his mind. Maybe that means I am going to get to curse them. All right, how, what can I do? Is there a backup plan? Is there a way? You know, Balak would be pretty angry if I didn't go with what he wants. So maybe I can just say something that God wants me to say, but say it in a way that Balak likes it, right? Whatever the way is that he was thinking, God even confronts him that your way before me is perverse. You're not going out of obedience. You're going because you're greedy. And I think for many of us, if we are honest, we can find this within ourselves, particularly in our culture, which is so consumed with consumerism that it is very easy for us to fall into patterns of valuing wealth and what can be accomplished through wealth rather than valuing holiness and faithfulness to God. Well, the reason I'm working all of these hours is because I need the money, and that way I could give the money to the church. And, and so, so really, it's for you, God. It's for you that I'm neglecting my family. Uh, well, it's really, it's for you that uh, I'm not faithfully walking, spending time with you in the scriptures. Are you sure, God, that I can't do this? Are you sure I can't lie? Are you sure I can't, you know, just take this little shortcut? Are you sure that I can't play unfairly as I work? I mean, I could get ahead a lot easier. And many fall to this temptation and to this path. Many people who get up today from the pulpit will be tempted to speak things that are easy to hear and pleasant to listen to. Because those are the sort of things that gather a crowd, that bring in the money. It's a very different aim and a different desire than to see the world know, to, know Christ and to see him glorified, to see the riches and all the splendor of the earth to be turned towards him and not to fill our own pockets. But I said three things. Here's the second one. In the epistle of Jude. In the epistle of Jude in verse 8. We're going to read 8 through 13. In case you're wondering, Jude's just one chapter. So it's just, it's just verses. That's why. Verse 8 through 13. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, all that they like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them! For they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts. As they feast with you without fear, shepherding, shepherds feeding themselves waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, 
uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. Again, we're talking about false teachers, about people who come in and look for profit, look for their own good. Balaam's way is greed. Balaam's error is compromise. Well, I'm not going to get invited back here if, uh, if I tell them that actually Israel's blessed. They, there's no curse in them. So uh, I just can't come with you. That, that's what's important for you to know. A little bit of compromise. Well, we'll go ahead. We'll do the sacrifices. We'll go through all this stuff. You'll pay me the divination fee, and, uh, and we'll see what he says. Are you sure, God? They really want to curse him. They're not even that great of people. He compromises again and again, willing to re-entertain the king, Balak. Re-entertain and offer up another chance, just another chance, another shot at that earthly splendor that he really wants. Okay, okay, I'll, I'll give it another shot. Third time's the charm. Or the curse, as it were. No, Balaam's error was compromised, and so we need to keep ourselves. You need to keep yourself in the love of God. The thing that needs to not be compromised, right? People love the word compromise within our culture today, as long as that means you do what they want, all right? The thing that we don't compromise in is our love of God. In other words, God holds us fast. We will not sway from that. His standard is the standard. And it doesn't matter if it makes you unpopular because you've taken your stand in his word, right? Psalm 1, like the tree planted by the river, bearing its fruit in season. I keep myself here in God's word. I keep myself to listen and to obey God's word. I will not compromise on that. One more place. The book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 2 in verse 12. This is one of the letters to the seven churches as the apostle John is jotting down the, the words that God is giving him for the book of Revelation. He's instructed to write seven letters to seven different churches, seven different groups of believers around the ancient world. And this is one of those letters. And to the angel, the people, of the church in Pergamum, write, the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. That should be a familiar image from what we just read, right? I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast to my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put stumbling blocks before the sons of Israel, so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also, you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. 
He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on that stone so that that no one knows except the one who receives it. Balaam's teaching was corruption. It was a watering down of God in his approach to Israel. Not just a watering down, but a poisoning. And the instruction to the church who has allowed this to happen, this is a letter to the church. It's not to the Nicolaitans. It's not to the false teachers that God says this. He says to the church, repent. You see, the greatest threat to the people of Israel was not the armies of the enemy. It was not that through the conflict with armies that they would be undone, but through the linking of arms with their enemies. Through the bringing in of other worships and other gods. That was their undoing. That was the cause of the strife of the people in the promised land. That their sinful hearts latched on to this idea that they could have their God and fill in the blank. Church, we need to understand and we need to realize that there is no worship of Jesus and anything. You will only ever be able to worship one person, one thing in your life. And that is to be Christ. It is for that purpose that you have been redeemed. It is for that purpose that Jesus has died for you. But there are many today who will stand and will preach along this road. There are false teachers today saying Jesus and. They're not saying no Jesus. They're just saying Jesus and this agenda. Jesus and if you disagree, that's okay. Well, you know what? You're, you might be right. You're probably right. Uh, whatever. It's not even that hard to find some of them. You just look at the flags they fly. That doesn't mean that anybody who's not flying a flag is being faithful, just to be clear. But man, when they're proud of the unfaithfulness, when they're proud of the fact that they're willing to compromise on the scriptures, the teaching is corruption. And Balaam's way, his error, his teaching are alive today, continuing on. Brothers and sisters, this is a warning to us as the church. They seek your destruction. They seek to rob you of what Christ has given you. Don't compromise with them. Don't let them in to your heart. Repent in those moments where you're tempted. 
by greed, where you're tempted to worship anything else alongside Christ, turn back to him. He's faithful and just to forgive you even in those moments. And we see him offer there at that last passage in the book of Revelation to say, the ones who endure, the ones who turn back, the ones who repent, the ones who listen, their inheritance is secure. You're warned today, not so that you'll be destroyed or condemned, but so that you will stand the test, so that you will remain faithful in the times to come. And though you'll have people on your left and on your right who will fall, will fail, that you'll know that God remains consistent and is able to hold you fast, to see you through to salvation. I'm going to close this in prayer here, and I'm going to invite Josh back up. We're going to sing a song of response. And I want to encourage you to take that time as we sing, as we sing praises to our God and King, that, that you would turn away from any of those ways, any of those errors, any of that teaching that perhaps is, has seeped into your soul. There's a lot in our culture that goes against the Lord. There's a lot of stuff that just is Jesus in branding only that can tempt you away. And so in this moment, in this song, I encourage you to focus on Christ, the King, the Redeemer, the one who has revealed himself to you, who has saved you. And if you don't know him, seek him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, there is none like you who is so intent on blessing his people that even when we face adversaries who would curse and cast us down, who desire to see us destroyed, you will not let it happen. That you hold your people through all of the ups and downs of life and that you are with them even today. Lord God, as you build your church, we ask that you would give us the strength to remain faithful, that you would give us the endurance to run the race that you've set before us for your glory as our Savior and King. And in your great name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Life Community Church Alexandria. We believe that there should be no anonymous Christians, so we would love for you to visit and worship with us Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. Please visit www.lifeccalexandria.org for more information. Thank you and God bless.